and an early good morning on a Thursday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn, he's Griffin. Yeah, getting off to an early start today, so apologies if you're tuning in at 10 o'clock and you're like, what the hell's going on? You're in the middle of a show. Well, we did warn you yesterday that we were going to start a little bit early today, as today is Mogaba Day. Um, unfortunately, two years ago today, we lost the greatest Baltimorean that ever lived. And we choose to celebrate him on this day, July 28th. And so I'm going to head down to the ballpark uh, and join his family, Sanzi, and so many that loved him, Lynn Leach, of course. And I know our buddy Dean Tejada from Threat Level Midnight is going to be down there. The NFL Chicks, Rita Hubbard, is going to join me at the ballpark today. And um, we're just going to honor and celebrate, again, the life of the greatest Baltimorean that we've ever had the privilege of knowing and, um, you know, it, it is it is sad because today, you know, Facebook in particular shows you your memories from each day and you think about the sadness of this day two years ago. But um, using it as an opportunity to celebrate and reflect and and continue to tell the story of the most incredible spirit that we've ever seen and the human that was so impossibly perfect in every way. Um, I, I, I watched, after we had Damon Amendolara on the show the other day, I watched that episode of Nomad that he wanted us to watch on YouTube uh, when he came back uh, for the dedication of Mo Gabba Way uh, back in December of 2020. And I had never seen this little interview that he did with Mo um, in Mo's final days when he was laying in his bed. And, and Mo hilariously talking about how it was okay to have a little bit of hate. It's okay to have a little bit of hate. But it was important that we loved each other. And um, you know, they were they were cracking up about the idea that it's like okay for for us to hate the Steelers. It's okay for us to to hate the Yankees. It's okay for us to hate the Red Sox. A little bit of hate. But not for each other as people. That we're supposed to love each other. A, a child that never made it past middle school, whose life was taken from him, and he had a far, far better understanding of how the world works and should work than any of the rest of us. Um, I am grateful. What what I what I said, you know, a couple years ago. M- I, I, I mock and I make fun of the idea of the tell me I'm pretty concept, right? Tell me my quarterback's the best. Tell me my team's the best. Tell me the tell me I'm pretty. Me, 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 me. I mock it, right? I understand that. But truly, we felt better about ourselves. We felt more valuable because we knew we shared anything at all in common with this most perfect human being. It was more meaningful for us to be Baltimore sports fans because Mo Gabba was a Baltimore sports fan. And if he, again, an impossibly perfect human, loves something, then we must be doing something right if we love the same thing. Having anything at all in common with someone so perfect felt like it was a better reflection of who we were ourselves. 
Um, I I am constantly blown away by by more stories that I hear and more people whose lives were touched by Mo Gabba. And I remain grateful for not just Sanzi for sharing him with us. Of course, famously, Sanzi didn't know she was sharing him with us because he was sneaking off and making uh, calls into radio stations without her being aware of it at all. Um, I'm grateful for Jeremy. For yeah, I and I, you know, I think you guys know that I consider Jeremy a friend, and um, I've known Jeremy for a long time. Humorously, we bumped into each other once upon a time. We bumped into each other at um, the Arizona Super Bowl when it was the Patriots and Giants, and we had actually never met each other before that day. I don't know what year that would have been. Oh seven, oh eight, somewhere around there. Um, we had never actually met each other at all before that day. And I remember the irony of Jeremy coming up to me and being like, yeah, I replaced you. Because <laughs> I had been at 105.7 and 1300, and when I left, Jeremy came in after he had been at 15.7. And then ironically, I ended up on the show that Jeremy had been on on 15.70 uh, when I came back to Baltimore. And I was always a Jeremy Kahn fan. I, I think it, as talent goes, as people who are actually funny, it, there are very few of us in sports radio. Most of us are painfully unfunny. We wouldn't know funny, literally, if it was closer than Griffin is to me at the moment. Jeremy is actually funny. He could go do a stand-up routine. He adds something to a sports talk show that the majority of us could never possibly add. But what stands out the most to me about Jeremy is that most people in this business are terrified of losing their spot. And they are defensive, and they are uber-protective, and they push off against anyone who would want to invade their territory. And somebody would say, I don't understand what you mean. What I mean is, Mo Gabba was a caller to the Scott and Jeremy show. And Jeremy could have easily said, well, he's our guy. The rest of you don't get to have him. He's ours. And you would say, well, that would, be, that would be horrible. Who would do that? And I'm trying to tell you that in this business, lots of people would have done that. Lots. And I hate that. And I wish that weren't the case. And I wish there were more Jeremy's. But I'm being as truthful as I can be. There are lots of people in this business that would have said, no, you guys don't get the... You want to do something on 98 Rock with Mo, our guy? No. No, that's not allowed. We're not going to let that happen. He's our guy. But Jeremy was never like that. Jeremy spent every moment of his time wanting to share Mo because he wanted more people to know Mo's story and to understand why he had fallen in love with that young man. And so I'm grateful to Sanzi, I'm grateful to Jeremy, I'm grateful to everyone who did everything they could to improve that young man's life during the short time that we got to share with him. And we have an obligation. It's a privilege to have that obligation because it was a privilege to know Mo Gabba. I've said a million times, when we decided that Mo Gabba was going to be our sports person of the year for 2019... Um, we assigned Bill Ordeen with writing the cover story 
And when it was presented to me afterwards, because Stan and I had championed, it was Stan and I who pushed for Mo Gabba to be our sports person of the year that year. And it was presented, the story after it was finished was presented to me, and there was a part I didn't want to see run in the story. There was a part in the story where Bill Ordine talked to Eric DaCosta, and Eric DaCosta said, look, I'm not the most religious person, but when you hold Mo Gabba's hand, you feel something. And I thought it was so ridiculous, so over the top, that I was uncomfortable with it being included in the story. It was. And then two weeks later, I held Mo Gabba's hand. I'm not the most religious person. But I felt what Eric DaCosta felt. It was a power unlike anything I had ever experienced. I don't know how to explain it. I think Mo Gabba was special. I think Mo Gabba was unlike any of the rest of us. And if you're someone who wants to believe in angels and, and spiritual beings, I, I'm, I'm for it. As I said a million times, nothing about religion bothers me. Only when people try to think that they should you know, govern other people based on their religion, that's when that is not okay. But I got no problem with anybody who's religious. And in that moment... I I understood more why someone might be. There is nothing, nothing like that power that I felt in that moment when Mo Gabba held my hand. Nothing in my life. I mean, maybe my wedding day, maybe my kids being born. When we have these conversations, we have to eliminate those things because it's something else altogether. Um... We'll celebrate Mo Gabba today. And I hope you guys will um, come join us. I don't implore you to go to Orioles games. I, I, you know, I, I, I so rarely try to implore people to do things because I get it. You know, these things cost money. I, I, I ask you to support events that come to town in hopes of getting more events. But I, I understand. I mean, like, these things aren't free. I bought a $10 ticket. I actually bought three $10 tickets because the Orioles wouldn't let me buy two. Life will go on. I essentially bought two $15 tickets, and we'll just have an empty seat next to Unless somebody wants it. I guess somebody wants it. Let me know. Um, somebody wants to go to the game today, sit with Rita and I. I guess we have an empty seat next to us, so I'm happy to have you. I, I did say that to Rita last time. I'm like, do you know if somebody wants to go? Because I asked if my 7-year-old would want to go today, and he apparently has a doctor's appointment today, so not an option for him. But if if someone wants the uh, third seat, message me, uh, at Glenn Clark Radio on Twitter, and... It might be yours. You're going to come hang out with Reed and I at the game today. We're going to be sitting in Section 96. That's where um, the group that, that we've affectionately titled the Family. Um, it's not just Mo's family. It's, it's friends. It's the people that meant the most to him. I mentioned Lynn Leach, who was his teacher um, and, and his closest confidant outside of his mother. Uh, Jeremy, unfortunately, can't be there today. He's down at the beach. And I know this was something that Jeremy wanted to be. Jeremy talked a lot in Mo's final days about how Mo had never been to the beach and he wanted to take Mo to the beach. Um, 
but a lot of us are going to be there today. And sitting in Section 96, Damon, you know, he was on with us the other day. He said he's going to be there today. I know he's already in Baltimore. He'll be there. Um, we will be together. And we hope that you will come join us. We hope that you will come sit with us um, in Section 96 today or in the neighboring sections. Again, tickets are just 10 bucks. I don't know if you've heard. The Orioles are pretty good. Last night was a bummer. But they're pretty good. It, unfortunately, might well be Trey Mancini's final game in Baltimore, which is kind of surreal that that would fall on Mo Gabba Day. Nice to see Trey kind of bust out a little bit last night after what had been a tough stretch for him. And so every time Trey... I mean, again, it adds to why I would implore you. I mean, again, if there was ever a day for you to take off of work, come over to the ballpark for the opportunity not only to honor Mo Gabba, but also to give Trey Mancini a rousing ovation every time he comes to the plate today. A so well-deserved rousing ovation. And I hope we end up being wrong. I hope Trey Mancini is still a Baltimore Oriole come next week. But should today be the final time he wears orange and black, he's not the greatest Oriole who ever played, but he's one of the greatest human beings that ever wore an Orioles uniform. And I'd love to spend today recognizing that with a huge crowd on hand giving him a so unbelievably well-deserved reception when he comes to the plate. So it'd be a heck of a day to be at the ballpark. It would be a, a really incredible day for you to be at Camden Yards to celebrate Mo, to celebrate Trey, celebrate a pretty good baseball team. And you can also go to threadlevelmidnight.com right now and uh, get your Be Momentous t-shirt. Uh, proceeds will be going to the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. I know the Orioles are also offering when you buy your tickets for the opportunity for you to make a donation to the Johns Hopkins Children's Center in honor of Mo Gabba Day in favor of all of those things. Wholly in favor of doing everything we can today to honor Mo and how much the Johns Hopkins Children's Center meant to him and his family during his short life. So we continue to lift them up and the work they're doing to try to help others. I was just over at Stevenson yesterday. Um, football coach Ed Hoddle um, was telling me about the fight that, and I've told you before about the Stevenson defense coordinator Todd Nelson and his little girl Maddie, who's you know got this very rare form of cancer and is just going through pure hell, an unspeakable hell. And the Johns Hopkins Children's Center is the absolute best place for their family to be. And so we continue to lift them up. And I encourage you to uh, get some donations into the Johns Hopkins Children's Center today in Mo Gabba's name. And, I, you know, I, I appreciate earlier in the year we did a bracket contest. And Susan Johnson was the winner of our bracket contest. And she said, I'd really like to make, I'd like to just take the winnings and I'd like to donate them to the Johns Hopkins Children's Center in honor of Mo. And I was like, jeez. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's perfect. All right. Um... Coming up on the program in just a few minutes, Scott Pioli is going to join us, former NFL GM, once upon a time, worked in the Ravens front office for uh, a hot second, the first ever season of Ravens football. Scott Pioli was in the Ravens front office. Uh, he's going to be back as the NFL Network um, is doing a – they've done this for a couple years now. Um, uh, football back together. What, what is it called exactly? What is the name of this thing? It's back. No, no, it's training camp. Back uh -huh. together or Tra Saturday. Back, back together Saturday. Yeah, right. We, okay. So the answer is you don't know. This is the I thing. Have I have Riven, it written when, down. When you don't know, just say you don't know. No, because I know. 
What's that? Training camp. Back together Saturday. Um, training. That's what it's called. Training yes. camp. Training back camp. together Saturday. Back together Saturday. Starts at 9 a.m. on NFL Network. Um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> Scott Pioli and Patrick Claybon will be at uh, Ravens practice on Saturday for training. It's training camp back together Saturday. Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll talk to him about uh, everything surrounding the Ravens, specifically, of course, his perspective as a general manager related to Lamar Jackson. And I got, I'm going to. I've heard a couple of things about that that I want to tell you all about in just one second. Also coming up this morning, uh, Warren Sharp, who has gone full throat in his offensive defensiveness of Lamar Jackson after the absurdity uh, that was run in the athletic. Uh, We'll talk to Warren Sharp, of course, Sharp Football. Um, He has carved out quite the niche within uh, football coverage world. We'll talk to Warren Sharp this morning. And Jarrett Bell from USA Today who uh, wrote a column this week about Lamar Jackson as well. Um, and also Andrew Steck is going to check in with us. So we're not going to do Weekend at Bookies today. We're going to push that back to next week just because of the time shift that we had to make in the show. So Andrew's going to join us just to talk Orioles this morning and whatever else is on his mind. Who knows? And then we'll get back into Weekend at Bookies starting next week. Orioles lose last night. Um, heartbreaking because, of course, Jorge Mateo hits the game-tying home run in the ninth inning and – Given that these are these Orioles, we were like, come on, man. Well, now you can't lose. And when that ball came off Ryan Mountcastle's bat in the bottom of the 10th inning, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. And, of course, just fell a couple of feet short of uh, tying the game back up. I don't want to oversell the importance of today's game. I just feel like when you take the first two and when you tie a game up in the, you know, in the ninth inning of game three, the difference in winning or splitting a four-game series emotionally, mentally, it's pretty significant. I think for the statement that you're looking to make about whether or not you're a contender, the idea of going four and three in these seven games against the Yankees and Rays, as, as much as we know tangibly it's only a difference of one game, the feel of having a winning record in those four seven games versus having a losing record in those seven games It's not tangible, but there's something that can be mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever you want to call it, damaging about dropping another game in this process if they were to lose today. Um, The Rays, for whatever reason, apparently did announce after the game that Ryan Yarbrough was going to get the start. However, they have not made that official. Uh, Jordan Lyles will start for the Orioles today, again, 1230 this afternoon. And um, we will await word on Tyler Wells. It it looks like he's going to be sidelined for a little bit of time. And now the burning question is, does that lead to D.L. Hall? Of course, D.L. Hall actually, after having been dominant for a while, his last start was not very good. I don't remember what the numbers were exactly. I feel like he gave up four runs. Yeah, he what did he get? He only went like an inning. Yeah, well, I mean, but but we don't know if the inning plan right because he only went an inning the time before that as well. We don't know if that's about trying to preserve innings for DL Hall. Uh, DL Hall, I believe it was on Tuesday that he pitched, yes. and I think they announced that he's going to pitch on Sunday as well, or at least they, but at that, least that's the, I mean that can change, right? Of course. Uh, yeah, it was worse than that. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> He only went two-thirds of an inning. He allowed Ooh. six runs on six hits. Yikes. That was a disastrous start. That was Patrick Corbin yesterday against the Dodgers. He got he got shelled in the first inning. Um, Patrick Corbin stinks now. Yeah. 
It was it was brutal. I watched. There's, that been, a, there's been talk about whether or not the Nationals could get somebody to take Patrick Corbin as part of a Juan Soto deal. Like it's <laughs> brutal. Um, there was a ball that dropped in between uh, Juan Soto and Victor Robles in right center, and it just, it was just an ugly rough. first inning for the Nationals. <laughs> Boy, I just I feel wretched for him. Just awful for him. <laughs> Got to tell you. Um, so. Obviously not the outing you would have wanted from D.L. Hall if he's about to make his major league debut. You would have preferred for him to have, you know, not given up six runs in two-thirds of an inning. Six runs on six. I can't believe they let him just keep getting his brains beat in. I'm actually blown away by this. He gave up. It wasn't a fluke. He gave up six earned runs on six hits. He was getting tattooed. And they were just like, ah, hell. After they'd only let him one start one inning the time before that. He just went ahead and let him get his brains beat in. Um, we'll see. I, I, what is the story on Matt Harvey? Like, is the suspension up? Is he able to pitch now? I have no idea. Now I'll say I don't know. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> the fact that you're actually being honest. I, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, I would like to know because that, to me, would be the more logical answer if Tyler Hill. I say, I say logical Matt Harvey is never a logical answer in the world. It's just that I continue to say that whatever the plan was for D.L. Hall, I don't believe that Mike Elias will want that change simply if Tyler Wells goes up on the injured list. But if Matt Harvey isn't, and I, I, I admit, I apologize, I just don't know, I think that by this point Matt Harvey's suspension would be up. It says, ESPN said it's retroactive to April 28th. Yeah, I think that um, means that 29th, it's, sorry. Yeah, it's, it's up. Yeah. So I would think that's the route the Orioles would go with needing someone to pitch until whatever point they had planned. Now, if the plan all along was for D.L. Hall to be here, like next week, then this works out. It's serendipitous. But if the plan was for D.L. Hall to be here in August or closer to September, I don't think they'll deviate from that plan just because Tyler Wells ended up on the injured list. I, I just think that's one thing that we've learned about Mike Elias is he's not going to change his plans based on what's going on with the Major League Club. Could be wrong. We'll find out. That's the sense that I've gotten about him. Um, one quick note, just because it's something that I, I have heard from a couple different people in the last couple of days. I have been told that there is more optimism about the Ravens being not as far away as everyone thinks in terms of a Lamar Jackson deal. Um, I'm not trying to tell you that that's imminent, that's something that could happen today, but it's interesting when we were talking with Randy Mueller yesterday about um, how like a, a deadlines are the things that drive this type of stuff to happen. And... While there's no actual deadline, the start of the season really does kind of become a deadline. Historically, the Ravens just don't do this type of stuff in season. As Bo Smoka pointed out as well, like, Lamar doesn't have an agent. So he's got to be involved in this process. And once the season begins, you'd like to hope that he's going to be a little distracted by worrying about football. It also has never made sense that Lamar would want to play this season on a $23 million number without the guarantee of more money. The one thing I am told is that there there has been a hang-up in relation to the amount of guaranteed money involved in the deal. 
and that while maybe Lamar's not looking for a fully guaranteed deal, he's looking for a lot of it. And that that might be really what this has come down to, is how much guaranteed money is in the deal. And I don't have specific numbers for you. I couldn't I, I, I couldn't get that. I, I was one person I spoke to was told I was told that yes, the Kyler Murray deal is not that far off from what you'd be looking at, but probably more guaranteed money that Lamar Jackson is looking for within the contract. So the one thing that I again if, if it matters to you, I was told there is optimism about a deal getting done before the season begins. Can't promise anything, can't, you know, just I was told by multiple people that there is more optimism than maybe there has been painted about the situation between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. So that's all I got for you. Just take it for whatever it's worth. All right, today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. It is the place to be for UFC 277 on Saturday night. Pena, Nunez, you're going to want to be there. Griffin's got like a 1,000 bets that he wants to make on the fights. I can pick every single fight if you want me to. Not right now. Okay. Not right now. Um, you want to parlay all of them? Ooh, I, found I, out I usually do every week. I put like 10 cents on it, so it would pay out like, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars. Uh, it's never hit. On every fight? Yeah, I just put I just parlay like all 12, 13 fights they have. You're onto something. Put a dime you're on You're onto something. You're onto something. Still has not hit. <laughs> um, you're going to want to be there. Email events at sportssocialmd.com in order to reserve your spot. You can um, watch and bet on all the fights in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Should we take a break now or wait till after? I'm thinking let's take a break now. All right. Scott Pioli joins us next. Glenn Clark Radio. Summer is in full swing, and so is the summer seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash fried pork belly with their popular Korean number two sauce, and try their South Carolina barbecue chicken, or back by popular demand, the lobster roll with grilled corn. Also try the irresistible crab and lobster fries, or the very berry salad with chicken. And for dessert, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jacks. This menu will be going, going gone. Find out more and get your order in at glorydaysgrill.com glory days grill great food good sports get your tickets now for the premier high school lacrosse games of the year the 17th annual all america lacrosse boys and girls senior all-star games will be on saturday july 30th at johns hopkins historic homewood field this is your chance to see the future lacrosse stars up close and in person as they showcase why they are the best in the country. Go to allamericalacrosse.com and get your tickets now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very first Salute to Coaches issue. On the cover, we recognize Ravens coach John Harbaugh ahead of his 15th season. Also inside, find tributes to Navy football coach Ken Niamatololo, UMBC soccer coach Pete Karinji, Maryland soccer coach Sasho Sarovsky, and field hockey coach Missy Maharg, Mount St. Joe basketball coach Pat Clatchy, and poly basketball coach Kendall Peace. We also honor recently retired Johns Hopkins lacrosse coach Janine Tucker and Calvert Hall baseball coach Lou Eckerl, the athletes whose lives these coaches have impacted, offering insights on what makes them special and why they've stood the test of time. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. 
That first bite. Mmm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 11.40. FanDuel Sportsbook GM Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 11.40, tune in for Weekend at Bookies as Andrew Stecka and Alloy Sports Brad Cronthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. Don't forget that full episodes of the show are available for free on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. But warning, you get what you pay for. You're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. Saturday, starting at 9 a.m. on NFL Network, it's training camp. Back together Saturday, coverage from every team around the NFL, including the Ravens will be holding a stadium practice on Saturday. And uh, this man is going to be back there, of course, former NFL GM, and a man who once upon a time was actually here in Baltimore for like a hot second in the inaugural season of the Baltimore Ravens. He is Scott Pioli, and he is with us now here on GCR. Scott, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for taking a minute for us this morning. Oh, Glenn, thanks for having me so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it, it, was, it was less than 12 months I was there, but, man, it, it was a fun and productive year, that's for sure. You were not sure. on the – were you on the infamous elevator that got stuck at Memorial Stadium? <laughs> no, because actually – that uh, that that is a great story too, and I'll never forget. Pat Hill was he was so angry. Uh, he was our assistant offensive line coach with Kirk Ferentz, uh, who was the O line coach. But I was actually down on the field that season. Okay, uh, Coach Marcher Broda used to have me carrying his cord, and well, actually, I wasn't <laughs> even carrying his. I was not the cord carrier. I was wearing his headphones because he hated headphones, <laughs> and I had to relay everything that was being said on the headphones to Coach March Broder that season. So, no, I was not on the oh, elevator, thank Oh, man, there, I have heard so many stories. Of course, Memorial Stadium is a beloved facility in Baltimore, but oh. by, that, by that point in its history, um, it, it was time. It was time for there to be it, a new it, stadium. It was past time. Awesome. But, but, sir, I'll tell you this. Someone like myself, who I'm very nostalgic, I love history, to be in Memorial Stadium, I got to tell you, it was a really, really cool thing. It's uh, cool. You know, all the football games that have been played there, the baseball games, it was just the, you know, Baltimore's a fantastic city. There's, there's so much history here. There really is. So I, I love that stadium. That's awesome. We love hearing that. It's going to be great to have you uh, back here on Saturday for this event. Scott, as you know, look, every conversation that we're having in this city, although ironically we're having a few about the Orioles because they're, they're better than we expected them to be, but every conversation we've been having has been surrounding the topic of Lamar Jackson and his contract and what happens here. Can you paint me a picture for what this looks like for an organization when something's going on? Is everyone capable of just business as usual, that in, internally it is not that big of a deal, or 
is that not practical when you're talking about the future of your franchise quarterback and and not having a deal done as we get into the fifth year of his contract? Glenn, you know, I, I completely understand the feelings on the outside and people wondering and the curiosity and the angst. Uh, but, I, you know, I think it, it's different from organization to organization. I don't think you make a bl- blanket statement that this situation is going to be a certain way. I think the dynamics and the people involved have a lot to do with how, how it's going to be not only handled publicly but privately. And, you know, you look at this organization and, you know, it started with, with Ozzy and, and Steve and who they are and, and John, uh, Coach Harbaugh, and, and Eric DaCosta. And you have to understand that all the people that are involved in the organization, they're class people. They do things the right way. They treat people. I don't ever know of a story, um, and I work you know, behind the scenes, and, and, and they were opponents and competitors, where they didn't act appropriately or respectfully towards people. So you've got this situation where it's, you know, it's, people say it's not personal, it's business. Well, personal business is very personal. You've got a player who's incredibly mature, in, in my opinion. I've spent time around him. I've, he's, he's incredibly, incredibly mature. He's thoughtful. So you've got this collective group of people, Glenn, who are going to do things the best that they can. There's not one disrespectful person in the bunch. So this has a chance to work really well. And, you know, I think the other thing that happens sometimes is there's conversations that go on behind closed doors that we don't know. Yes, some things leak out. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. The fact that Lamar is his own agent, mm-hmm. I think that's adding to some of the mystery behind the curtain because he doesn't have an agent or an agency that's leaking things out to gain leverage. The organization, you know, this is, that's not how Eric rolls. That's not how Ozzy didn't use the role. John doesn't work that way. They don't leak information out to out leverage the other side. So I think it's going to get done, in my opinion. I don't know when. I don't know exactly how. But there's too many good people involved on both sides um, where it's going to get done and it's going to get done the right way. So I just said a couple minutes ago, Scott, I've heard, you know, around, you know, just from various places around town. I don't want to give anything away, but that there is more mm-hmm. optimism to a deal getting done before the season. And it feels like as much as we keep saying, hey, there's no deadline, the Ravens can use the franchise tag and all these things are options. I keep coming back to the idea of Lamar playing for $23 million this season, which just simply is not market value. And I've never understood why he'd be willing. We can say everything you want about, you know, hey, you can try to force your way to free agency and all that sort of stuff, but why are you willing to play for less money than you can get even this year? And so do you feel like maybe as we get closer to the season beginning, perhaps there it's, it's not a deadline deadline because he's not going to go anywhere, but there is more of a deadline for everybody involved to say, hey, let's get this thing done before the season gets underway. So, Glenn, a couple things. I want to talk out of both sides of my mouth here. Okay. Could I see him playing for $23 million? And do I think that's, you know, a, a little strange? I think that would be strange, and I could see him doing it. And here's why I could see him doing it. Because he is mature. Because he is confident. He's not arrogant. He's confident. And he, I could see him potentially and possibly make, taking that risk. And on the same, you know, the other side of my mouth, I say, Every day that he doesn't sign a contract before the season starts, he makes money. You know, I've been thinking about this. People talk about, you know, his number goes up without him even negotiating. It's happening in his sleep, you know, mm-hmm. as, as these other deals get done. So if you look, if you just pause for a second, you look back, what if he would have signed this deal in March or April or May? 
it would have been less than what he would get today. As people sign, as every day goes by, the market gets set and reset. You know, after the, the fourth player, you know, we, uh, there was a point where the, we now have eight $40 million quarterbacks, meaning $40 million a year. When it got to number four, the fourth guy got there, I said, you know what? I guarantee you by the 2023 season, there will be at least half the league will be $40 million mm. quarterbacks. He said, oh, my gosh, $40 million quarterbacks. We're at number eight right now. Right. Lamar's going to get done. You know, Burrow's going to get, you know, it, it, these dominoes. This is what happens. You know, high tides raise all boats. So it's a long-winded way of saying there's no reason for him to – he's maximizing – his time and he's maximizing the deal simply by waiting and he's making money every single day he waits and stays healthy and then the flip side is this god forbid let's say he does get hurt how much do you really think the market's going to drop on him sure that's the he's Dak, still going to get paid right. it's the Dak press so he's right. maximizing the exactly right. right you're exactly right glenn so so to me i think and he, he's a smart kid you know what i mean a kid i should say he's a smart young man and he, he's a confident young man. And the, the, everyone knows that Steve Bishotti, John, and Eric are going to do the right thing, right? They're not going to try to, they're not going to, try to undercut him. There's no, that doesn't make sense. Doing heavy-handed, onerous business, it may feel good or look good at the beginning of a deal. But in the end, if you do a deal that's bad for either one of the two sides, everyone's going to lose. He is Scott Pioli. He will be here in Baltimore on Saturday. Coverage for the NFL Network's training camp back together Saturday gets underway at 9 a.m. Scott, um, just as far as how the Ravens have built themselves this year, they are very thin at wide receiver. And we all believe in Rashad Bateman and think he's an incredible talent, but they have nothing that's proven at the position. Most people seem to think that's because they're trying to replicate what they did on the ground in 2019, and they're just going to be a run, run, run. I mean, hell, they, they've signed 12 running backs this offseason. Um, I guess, one, what do you make of them being so thin and so inexperienced at the position, and can they replicate what they did in 2019? Can they win a Super Bowl replicating what they did in 2019? I, I don't – I'm not sure if, if they can – completely replicate. But here's the thing is, you know, the teams go through cycles. And, you know, when I was with the Patriots, there were times when we didn't, our wide receiver crew didn't look that good, but we had a pretty special quarterback. Yeah, he was okay. But, before, even, but, he, but I'll say this, even before he was a special quarterback, before he was, you know, before Tommy became Tom, we did a lot of things with other, other players at other positions. Everyone wants to say wide receivers, wide receivers, wide receivers. Here's part of what they do with their running backs. Their running backs are all good in the passing game. They know high percentage throws that short and sideways can move the chain. It doesn't necessarily have to be downfield. With some of the RPO stuff they, they do, they don't have to consistently go down the field. They need a good bunch of or a good group at the wide receiver. They don't need a superb or rare. They've got young players in Bateman and Duvernay. They're young players that are developing. They've got a couple of other guys. You know, they've got young guys, but they've got one of the better tight ends in the National Football League, you know, and I know Nick Boyle, uh, meaning Mark Andrews, Boyle's getting old, they, but they've got good players at the tight end position. They've got good players at the running back position. Oh, by the way, they also use the fullback. So they're their offense is built a little bit differently. Yes, it'll be the running game, but there'll also be some of the, what we call the extended running game, short, sideways to backs, pick up the yards. It doesn't all have to be, um, you know, I think sometimes 
because of things like fantasy football and because, you know, it's like baseball back in the day. Everyone loves the long ball. Everyone loves to see the wide open passing game. It's not about deep passes. It's about moving the ball down the field, controlling it, scoring points, and keeping the other team from scoring points. I mean, by, look, again, they did that with the, with the dominant run game in 2019, to your point. Yes, it does not have to look the same way that it does in Kansas City or other places. And a darn good defense. Right, 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 Glenn, and a darn good defense. They got it. They got it. You know, we got to see if they're going to do a little bit more in the pass rush game. It'll be interesting to see what Mike McDonald brings to the table in his first year as coordinator. I'm excited about that. Before I let you go, Scott, if I could, just a thumbnail on the division because it really does seem like on paper this could be the best division in all of football. Um, I, I guess the Bengals have announced themselves the team to beat with Joe Burrow being what he is now, um, which is, I know, as you laugh, it's a crazy thing to say, right, about the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, the Ravens, and then, you know, who knows how the Deshaun Watson thing plays out. And Look, man, I want to dismiss the Steelers because you know how we feel about that in Baltimore, but I, they are still the Steelers, and if there's ever been They're a franchise still the that's still Mike Tomlin. Right, like this this looks like it could be truly the a, the most brutal division in all of football. I tell you there's two this division and the AFC West. The AFC Yeah. they they should allow more teams from the AFC to be in the playoffs. Yeah. The AFC is stacked. I, I say that, you know, tongue in cheek, but it, it it's really stacked. And I you know, I'm really excited. I I, I want to say this about the Ravens. Um love Tyler Linderbaum. Love 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 him. But I'll tell you what, what they did on defense with their picks is Kyle Hamilton and David Ajabo. David Ajabo is one of my absolute favorite players in the draft. And I know he's injured. I know it's going to take some time. But yep. I, you know, I did consulting work uh, for them last year and watched him play. And everyone was talking all the time about Hutchinson. And Hutchinson is a very good college player or a great college player. It's David Ajabo, I'm telling you, watch out, Baltimore. When this guy gets healthy, I like that. this kid's going to be a force. Another guy that, that people aren't talking a whole lot about, Jalen Armour Davis. You know, I did work with Alabama last year, too. In terms of people, players and people and maturity, if I know they don't do NIL deals here, you, you know, in the NFL, but if I wanted a player and a guy and a person and human being associated with my business and my product, Jalen Armour Davis, uh, Davis is the absolute standard. They knocked it out of the park, I think, this year in the draft. Love, I think they absolutely crushed it. Love that. At Scott Pioli 51 on Twitter is how you follow him. Again, NFL Network's training camp back together Saturday, 9 a.m. He'll be here in Baltimore with Patrick Clavin. Um, Scott, look forward to having you back in town. Appreciate you taking the time for us this morning. We'd love to do this again at some point during the season. Thank you so much. I hope we do. Thanks for having me. Really, I, I appreciate it. Scott Pioli, uh, NFL Network analyst, former NFL GM, checking in with us here on GCR. Uh, appreciate him taking the time. And I have started operating, as I alluded to a couple minutes ago, under the idea that um, the start of the season, when, I, when we use the word deadline, we keep saying it's easy to say, hey, there's no deadline here. Nothing's forcing a deal to get done. On one side, to me, the deadline would be. I understand Scott's point. It's, it's well taken, which is Lamar Jackson believes in himself. He doesn't... If he plays for $23 million, one, it's still $23 million. Let's start there. It's not like he's doing charity. He's getting $23 million to play football. But he's doing it because he believes he's going to pay, be paid all that much more after he has a monstrous season. 
But I still think the idea of entering into a year where you're going to be paid $23 million without more guarantees coming, that is a deadline. To me. Simple math, simple factual statements. I should be making more than $23 million. And if I'm not, it better be because there's a lot of money guaranteed coming my way. So if I do a deal where this year still pays me $23 million, but it comes with a guarantee of 200 more in the future, that's okay. But to just do a deal for $23 million this year, to just play for $23 million without those guarantees, I get it. Scott you know, makes a great point about Dak Prescott. We've talked about that uh, over and over again about how there is the risk of injury is not as significant as some people make make it out to be because Dak Prescott is proof that you can still get paid a boatload of money. You can still be that franchise quarterback. And there's so few injuries that alter your career. There's Alex Smith, and there's not many more examples. Somebody might say Robert Griffin III was never really the same after his injury. So basically, if you're a quarterback for Washington, the injury might derail your entire career. If you're a quarterback for anybody else, you're probably going to be able to come back. I'm not trying to be flip. It's just that's sort of the evidence that we have in, in recent memory of two Washington quarterbacks whose careers were derailed by an injury. Everybody else has basically been able to come back and be okay. I guess you could say Andrew Luck quit, but, you know... I think a lot of people believe he could have continued to play. He just chose not to, which is his right. Peyton Manning suffered a serious neck injury and was arguably even better afterwards. So the injury risk, I get it. It's not, it is not as prevalent as maybe some make it out to be. But it does still exist. It's not a zero. If it's a 2% risk, I'd still rather take that risk knowing there's a lot of money coming my way. So to me, the start of this season is a deadline for one side. Which doesn't mean you force something or you do a bad deal, but there's just no reason to be playing for $23 bucks. Today's show also brought to you by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. So as I mentioned, we're going to push back weekend at Bookies. We'll bring that back next week as we get a little bit closer to football season, which is a shame because I know Andrew Stecka was working on all of his UFC bets for this week. He is, they, they call him Dr. MMA in some circles. Uh, I figured let's just have him on this morning. Apparently he wakes up at 4 a.m. anyway for whatever reason. So if he's going to be awake, might as well have him buzz in. What's going on, pal? How are you? Good morning, Glenn. The Dr. MMA thing has nothing to do with the actual MMA. That's a totally different acronym. Oh, I'm not gonna get into oh I'd like to know what it stands for. I'd like for you to, on the fly, <laughs> show, your improv, show your improv skills and come up with something. Um, you know I don't have those. You and I both, my friend. That's the reason why I say there's only one of us in this town that could do a, a comedy, and that's Jeremy, and none of the rest of us are capable of it. Um, all right, so a bummer of a night last night because Ori Mateo delivers us some heroics and then the Orioles end up losing anyway. Uh, where are you? Because you and I haven't talked in a while. Where are you as far as we're, a, we're less than a week away 
from the trade deadline. The Orioles are a 500 team. What what should they be doing? What will they do? Where are you with all of that? I mean, I'm I'm kind of just holding on and enjoying the ride like the rest of everyone, um, enjoying the winning. Obviously, um, when it comes to the trade deadline, I'm I'm really torn on all of this, man. Just like just like a lot of people are. Um, I feel like you know the, the, the big conversations obviously been about Trey Mancini, and I'm kind of where you are on that. In that. I don't see the overall benefit, and I'm. I go. I continue to go beyond the on the field benefit with this stuff. I, I continually look at it as an off the field thing too. Th- this club has a lot of momentum right now, and they're they're enjoying the the fruits of winning baseball just with you know folks like you talking about them in late July. I mean, you, you didn't expect to be talking about. Not, them I, didn't, I didn't think uh, I would be watching an <laughs> inning of a game. I, I mean, I I thought that exactly. I would be utterly checked out. Exactly. And obviously you build up goodwill by winning first and foremost, but you also build up goodwill by having people around the club that folks enjoy and that folks can get behind. And Trey Mancini is just one of those guys. He's one of those guys in a similar way that Adam Jones was, that Nick Marcakis was, um, even going back further to a guy like Melvin Mora was. Like guys that people just appreciate who have been around a while, who have been through it. And even though, you know, it may not be the smartest thing to, keep this thing going with him on the field. Um, he obviously has, has, he broke out a little bit last night from this, this offer that he was in. Um, but it, it still feels like something that they should do just from an off the field standpoint, even more so than an on the field one. So I, I yes, right. And on the field, obviously he struggled for the last couple of weeks, but on the field, I still think you're a better team with Trey Mancini than you are without him. I, I, I still think that's the case. It's just one less bat that you have available to you, and we can keep saying all we want about, well, you know, that could be the, the pathway to bringing up Kyle Stowers. And, and look, maybe Kyle Stowers is going to be an outstanding Major League Baseball player, but I don't I don't know that he is. A couple months ago, we thought Austin Hayes might be the a centerpiece of this franchise for years to come, and, you know, that's... That's tailed off, and it's been a while since Ryan Mountcastle's hit a home run, although he's tried his damnedest the last couple of nights. Um, (laughs) I'm in a weird spot where, like, I just think that there's worsening your team. I'm going to use this term. So years ago, in the midst of the worst of it with the Orioles, and I wish I could remember who said this to me, and I, 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 the way it was described to me is what felt like such a violation was that an ownership of, of a franchise is supposed to enter into essentially a civic trust. That we understand this team is really yours. It's really Baltimore's Orioles. We just get, we, we've taken the right to profit off of it. But we understand that sure. we're entering into a civic trust with you. It's your team. And to me, being competitive and being in the middle of something and just making a trade for the sake of making a trade, I, I don't want to. You know, there are far worse things that have happened with this franchise over the years. I'm not trying to portray it like any of those things, but it does come off as a bit of a violation of a civic trust, which is we're asking you to be on board with us, but you know we are still not really going to acknowledge what's going on and kind of pretend like it's not happening because it doesn't fit with our timeline or what our plan was. And as I've said a million times, dude, I would change if if you could get a remarkable return for Trey Mancini, I would change my mind in a heartbeat. I would say, look, sure. man, I get it. You you got to do what you got to do in order to to put the best team on the field. But it keeps coming off as 
a trade for the sake of making a trade. And when that's the case, I, I, I never – it does. It comes off like a violation of a civic trust. Well, and it's interesting what you said there, too, about, you know, you, you can't bury your head in the sand and pretend like what's happening isn't happening. And I don't think that the club is doing that. If you listen to kind of some of what Michael Elias has said over the last two weeks, and, you know, we had the, the press conference with Jackson Holiday uh, just yesterday, um, and, and, and kind of some of the things that were said, they, they know what's going on. They know that this club is turning a corner and that they're on the, on the verge of something very special. And, and to your point about the, you know, the civic trust and, and you know, just having that ability to go out and win, and that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to continually kick the can down the road and say, this guy's for the future. We got another one for the future. This guy's going to be really good in 2024. We're going to be really ready to go by 2025. You cannot continue to do that and keep that, that civic trust. Yeah, for, you're, for you're the, you're the Miami have. Marlins at that point. That's what you are. You're just yeah, the team. Exactly. Yeah. Or, yeah, you're the Marlins. You're the Reds. You're, you're a number of these teams that continually – do that and i know that michael Elias doesn't want to do that and I, I i firmly believe that ownership doesn't want to do that um so you you rely on those guys to make the right decision uh those guys and those gals and in, in you know in the front office everyone involved it's like everyone kind of pulling on the rope in the same direction type of deal and you know I, I there's obviously arguments to be made as to whether or not you trade trey mancini or jorge lopez or or any of these guys who could bring something back, it's just that balance of are, are you kicking the can down the road or are you getting something that by next March you're ready to rock? And right. you, because I really do think, and I, know, and I know you believe this too, I really do think that by next year with what we've seen so far, this team needs to be ready to rock. Yep. And it's interesting. I heard a, heard a podcast the other day. Uh, I can't remember which podcast he was on, but Jeff Passan of ESPN was was really talking about the Orioles like this offseason as being one of the big players. He was really like, they're the ones, them, he mentioned a few other teams as well, the Mariners, um, some of these teams that are on the come up, they really need to be a player. And and it's not, it's not about going and spending $200 million on one guy. It's about bringing in some resources to make sure that you are going to be in contention. And, and you know, there's a lot of people who firmly believe that even though the Orioles are in the American League East, that with a few additions and a few things, you know, put in the right place, this team can, can, can not only contend for a playoff spot next year, they can go out and contend for a division because they are rising in with, with that kind of um, intensity. And, and the, the wave is, is, is start. You can see the wave. You can see it on the horizon. You can see it starting to come. Andrew Stecka with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Andrew, the one thing that I worry about is that, you know, we 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 see the signs, right? I mentioned Hayes and Mountcastle kind of dropping off, and who knows what Urias is? I, I, I said that yesterday. I have no clue <laughs> what this dude even is and what to make out of it. Do Is there risk of us overvaluing what's happened this season and maybe the reminder needing to be, hey, for the most part, these still aren't the guys that would be the guys to try to go win a World Series with? Oh, absolutely there is. I mean, you, you mentioned it yesterday with, with Ramon Arias. I mean, he's played, what, 162 games now in his yeah. career. Um, it's, it's one year. You know, we all, we all also kind of, I think, I don't think we overreacted, but I think we got really excited about the season that Cedric Mullins had this year. But then there was that conversation in the offseason of, well, we need to see him do it again. And not, that's not to say that he needs to go out and be a 2020 or a 30-30 guy every year. 
but you know he needs to be a consistent guy and i think we're we're seeing that he can be that he can be that top of the order guy there's a number of these players on this team but th- that's that remains the job of like i said this this front office to determine wh- who of these guys you know hayes mountcastle uh santander i think you throw into that mix and and i think you even throw some of these pitchers into the mix as to who is here you know here for a good time and who's here for a long time right. you know there's, there's a big difference between those two things look i you know i, I am i am struggling I, I it is very difficult and i'm not trying to be flip i'm not trying i think i've said that twice today now by the way um, I'm not. I'm not trying to project this as being this is easy and how could Mike Elias screw this up? Because I do get that this this wasn't the plan. And when I say what I say, I'm not saying like how dare you trade it. I've even openly said it, last night aside because that's a tough spot to be put into when you're inheriting a runner on second base. But I got no problem with them trading Jorge Lopez. I have no problem with them trying to identify something as an asset and saying, hey. Does it make sense? Because we can all, with a brain, say, hey, you know, you might be right. It might very well be that Jorge Lopez is a guy who had a heck of a couple of months and, you know, was utterly found money. And if you can spin that into real assets moving forward, and I think that's more likely than spinning Trey Mancini, a a rental Trey Mancini, into an asset, do it. Um, I wouldn't gut the bullpen necessarily because, as you mentioned, next year, you're going to need pieces. You're going to need guys to pitch out of the bullpen. So I wouldn't be trading all of Jorge Lopez and Dylan Tate and Felix Batista. But if you wanted to trade one of those guys, even if it's Lopez, I've got no issue with that because I still think you can have practicality within the conversation about trying to win now. Sure. And and I think that the one thing that we can confidently say about the job that Michael Iason did, and honestly it's similar to the job that Dan Duquette did when he was in Baltimore, is that the way that he's constructed this bullpen has been very good for the club overall. I mean, it, he has done a very good job of putting together a bullpen. And, you know, whether that's picking up arms here and there or even trading away guys like they did at the start of the season to, to, to flip those into assets, the, the, the management of this bullpen from a front office standpoint has been very positive. And, it, you know, you said something a minute ago, too, uh, about this wasn't part of the plan. I, I push back on that a little bit. I think this was part of the plan. Yeah. All of this has been... You know, this has been kind of the timeline that they have set, and this is kind of what they have wanted to see. Now, is it maybe happening a little bit sooner? Yeah, I don't. Than we all I don't believe. I don't believe internally, and I I can back that up with a couple conversations I've had. I don't believe internally that there was any thought to it is a priority for us to win this year. And in in one very specific instance, I would almost say that like they kind of didn't. I, don't, I want to be careful on how I say this. I don't think that they were prepared to lock down Brandon Hyde long term. And I think winning has pr- proved to be an interesting sort of wrench in the plans, right? Like, I. Well, it's not a wrench. It's not. Let's well, not, yeah. Let's not I, like winning is a bad thing. No, I. But, but just. I think they're in an interesting spot because I have reason to think that the plans did not involve doing something long-term with Brandon Hyde. And when you start winning, it becomes more difficult to not do that. Um, which, again, to your that's a great problem to have. But I, when I say I don't think it was part of the plans, I'm telling you that I don't think it was part of the plans. Maybe not for this soon. But, but in general, this is the way that it's supposed to work. You're supposed to have a bunch of pieces 
and you're supposed to have to sift through them and figure out, like I, like I kind of flippantly said, wh- who's here for a good time, who's here for a long time. Right. Like you've got to you've got to sort those players out. And yeah, Brendan Hyde is is certainly a part of that conversation as well. I think there's I think there's less emphasis on Brandon Hyde for me personally than there is for the players on the field actually doing the baseballing. Um, but you know, it's like, that is, that is an interesting part of this too, is the Brandon Hyde discussion and, and how, yeah, they probably didn't expect, you know, they probably expected Brandon Hyde to come in and get his ass kicked for four years, five years and lose a hundred games every year and then kick into the curb and bring someone else in. But he has kind of shown the ability to, to at least manage this group and, you know, the coolest thing, and this is all part going back to part of the civic trust thing that you mentioned, you know, the winning thing breeds the excitement thing, not just within the fan base, but within the team. Of course. And when you have a manager that can, that can kind of, you know, pump that up and, and embrace that and have that kind of thing. It's not like these guys are all just going out there and winning some games and be very businesslike. And, you know, we're, we're having fun watching them because they're having fun winning. And that's what makes this whole thing kind of tick and work. And it's what makes the fan base get behind it so much is that you're seeing these guys that you didn't really expect to do a lot of winning, do a lot more winning than they were expected. And they're having fun doing it, which is what makes the whole thing just all the, all the better. Look, man, I am, it it is more fun than I could have possibly imagined. I'm, I'm, as you point out, I absolutely did not think I would be watching any Orioles baseball at all at this point. And I am watching every inning of every game, and I am am loving every moment and enjoying every ounce of it, and I, it creates a strange conflict. I, I once we get past next week, we can have a completely di- different conversation. But I do think that next week is is relevant and interesting, and in a way, a marker about where the Orioles find something. It was presented to me, and I talked about it on the show yesterday. Somebody brought up um, what's the what's the pitcher's name in Detroit? Scoob, uh, uh, Tariq Scooball, right? Um, why wouldn't you? If you're gonna be in on pitching, it's easy for me to say I, I'm not going crazy. I don't think they should try to acquire anything. But as you brought up, the Jeff Passan said, if you're gonna be in on at the end of the year, why not be in on something now if the asset isn't expiring? Um, well, there, there's 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 also reasons for that too. I mean, you 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 do see where you are. You you are a just over 500 team or an I-500, I guess, and, and there are, you, you do have to tap the brakes a little bit in, in terms of this season, but I think that you're right. Next week is really important but, for... But specifically for, 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 for what happens... For, for, I'm, in the end, in, someone like Scooball is under team control through 2026. Yeah. Why not? Like, what, I can't, no, I, I I can't make the argument, and I don't know what it costs you, right? Because if it costs you... Colton Kowser, I'd probably say no. But I, let me ask you this, Glenn: if if they do something like that, you have a why not and kind of cool. That sounds great attitude. If they were to do nothing before next week and just kind of stand pat, yeah, I'd be, wouldn't you kind of feel the same way? I would be. I would be fine with that. As I said a million times, I don't think yeah, they should try. I to, would too. I don't think they should try to acquire something. But the argument that's pre- been presented is. If you're going to make moves in the offseason and the assets are available now and could also potentially help you win now, 
Why not? Yeah. Like, what? what is the argument against that? And it's not me saying, I, I want to make it very clear, I'm not demanding it. I'm not going to be disappointed if they don't. Anything along those lines. The screwball thing was one that was thrown in my face, and I could, I did not have a good argument as to why you shouldn't. I, I couldn't come up with it well, if you're going to go that route. Now, somebody's answer is, you shouldn't be trading for your assets. You should just be spending money in order to acquire them. I get it. But, you know, come on, this is the Orioles we're talking about. I think if we are imagining that they're sure. going to suddenly start spending boatloads of money, we're going to be disappointed. At, at some point, you've built up a system that is a little bit deeper. Can you use that in order to make your team better? Again, not, not prioritizing the next two months. You're looking at the next three years with a guy like that. I, that would make a lot of sense. No, there's no... D- there's no doubt about it. And, and to your point, the spending money thing this offseason is going to be a whole different conversation that's going to need to be had because that is something that's going to be required. And, and, you know, with everything going on with the club, who knows if it will happen. But what makes next week, you're right, what, next, what makes next week so intriguing and so just fascinating, even from a, from a sports radio standpoint, is the, there's an incredible wide range of outcomes and you're kind of going to be okay and understand any of them, whether they trade no one or whether they trade Lopez and Mancini and maybe some, maybe Santander. Like if they trade three players for, for prospects next week, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to probably grit your teeth a little bit and, and, and think it sucks, but you're going to understand it. And you're going to, you're going to grasp that, that going into next year, this is what they're doing. They're, 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 they're readying themselves for next year. And if they do nothing, you're probably going to be okay with that too. There's a wide range of outcomes and a wide range of kind of shrugs to, okay, we're on board with all this because I think we've, we've gotten to that point now where we're starting to really gain the trust of what they're doing because then that's purely based on the results. We've seen the results and, and, and that they're, they're, they're happening sooner than we expected them to. And we can kind of start to, breathe a little bit and say, oh, we're starting to see a little bit of this light at the end of the tunnel. Let's see where the rest of this goes. What else is going on in your world, dude? Not much, man. Getting ready for uh, the Premier League season's coming up fast uh, next week. So I'll be, I'll be knee-deep in didn't, that. Didn't, um, didn't, ju- didn't it just end season? like a week ago? Jesus Christ, they have a shorter offseason than the NHL. What the hell? Holy well, they've got a they they they've had to start it earlier this season because of the World Cup being in the winter this year. There's a there's a you know a six week break uh, during all of the European uh, soccer seasons because of the World Cup. So they're cramming a bunch of bunch into the first part of the season and then cramming a bunch into the the second part of the season and kind of starting things a little earlier than usual. So yeah, a week from uh, uh, next weekend uh, mm-hmm. is is when the Premier League starts and some of the other some of the other leagues are actually getting going this weekend. I know the. I know the Scottish League is this this weekend, and I think uh, one of the other big five leagues is this weekend too. So okay. I'll be knee deep in that, and then you know, gearing up for for football season too. Looking forward to um, start starting starting just now to do a little bit of futures work and look into that kind of stuff, and not really having any clue because it feels very 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 wide open throughout the entire league this year. At, well, in the AFC, I don't I don't know how open it feels in the NFC. It feels like most of the NFC stinks. <laughs> That's just. Well, it, it, you're you're right, but also because of that, I think it feels kind of open. Yeah, yeah. In, in terms of who the best team is, I couldn't really tell you. Well, I mean, I still think the Rams are the best team in the NFC. I I still feel that way, but I mean, it doesn't mean they're going to win. I just feel like they're the best team. All right, at Asteca on Twitter is how you follow him, of course, and he'll be back next Thursday to try to help us win some money on weekend at bookies. Appreciate you, pal. We'll talk next week. 
Sounds good. Cheers, Glenn. Andrew Stecka joining us here on GCR. I am the the scooball thing is really interesting to me because I just don't I don't have a feel for specific like you'd have to start telling me names. And I wish I could remember who it was that presented it to me. Somebody sent me that message this week. Like, why wouldn't the Orioles be in on Scooball? I think he's got like a 3-6 ERA this year and a just over 1.1 whip. It's not like he's been dominant, but he's been good. He's been really good. So he could help you now, and he's got a ton of team control. Now, that includes arbitration years, of course. In those arbitration years, you have to pay him some money. But he's the almost the perfect asset for a team to acquire if they're not looking to spend $100 million on pitching that could help you from a pitching standpoint this year and moving forward. Now, of course, because there's so much team control, that certainly elevates his value throughout baseball. Throughout baseball, he's more valuable because every other team sees the same thing. He's under team control for a while. Again, he's not a free agent until 2027. So, it... What does that get you? Does that get you an organization's fifth best prospect just because of the team control? I mean, he he ain't Juan Soto. He's been a good pitcher, not a huge track record. A year ago, he pitched to a 4.34 ERA with a 1.259 whip. Just fine, but certainly not high level. He's having a bit of a breakout season, but even then, it, that is minimized. Let's, he's not an ace within baseball. Is he moving in that direction? Can make that argument. And you bring him to Camden Yards, which is now a pitcher-friendly park. A more pitcher-friendly park, yeah. yes. That's fair. Saw a huge, obviously, the massive change in team ERA from last year to now. It's just probably like what Ben McDonald's he's, talking about. He like, is, he pitchers is a, are pitching with confidence He now. is He is like, a lefty, mm-hmm. scooball. Um... I uh, you know you could certainly project him being someone that could succeed, but what is that? What is the real value there? What is the actual value of Tariq Skubal? I I haven't seen hypothetical trades thrown around to know what the the type of players. If so, the Benintendi deal netted um, the Yankees like the two top thirty. Prospects, I want to say. Top 30 within, um, sorry, the other way around. Netted the Royals, two of the Yankees' top 30 prospects are guys who are right around the fringe of the top 30. Because Tariq Skubal is a pitcher with more control, he would be presumably more valuable. So the Orioles' 15th best prospect is Drew Rom. Would I trade Drew Rom to land Tariq Skubal? Yeah. F yeah. But would I trade their fifth best prospect, Jordan Westberg? By the way, I'm not saying no. Westberg would be the first guy I'd be willing to think about, right? Like because you could look and say, "Hey, you got a lot of other infield prospects. Could you part ways with one of them in order to land someone who could be a, a quality pitcher for you for years to come?" Maybe, maybe. I mean, I would probably. Try to go like Prieto instead, or but maybe I, I'm not 
saying that I think they'll do it. I would be stunned by that. But as presented to me, it's exactly what they should be trying to do. If the Orioles are going to look to upgrade the team at the end of the year, this is the perfect way to try to upgrade the team for the coming years. That could also help you in fortifying whatever this is going to be. By the way, particularly if Tyler Wells is going to be out for a little while, who's been your best pitcher. I'm going to talk myself into this, by the way. I'm, going to, I'm literally going to end up being – I'm going to create a scenario where I'm ultimately disappointed that they didn't go get Tariq Skubal, I, which is not going to happen. There's no reason for me to think that. And I have been the guy that's been loudly saying they don't need to acquire anyone. And I'm suddenly going to talk myself into a place where I'm going to end up being disappointed – by them not getting Tariq Skubal. He's represented by Scott Boros, and he's in the they building. Just, they, just, they just had him over here yesterday. Doing his own. Doing, of, course, of course, Scott Boros gets to be part of the press conference. Yeah. What a world we live in. <laughs> this doesn't happen anywhere else where the agent is part of the press conference. It's so weird. So weird. Um, yeah, I, I'm suddenly, I am kind of hot and bothered about Tariq Skubal. I can't lie about it. I'm suddenly worked up about it. All right, as I mentioned, Weekend of Bookies will happen next week, and uh, Simply the Bets every Tuesday, all brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. And we'll get back into an every-other-week pattern for Weekend at Bookies. If you joined us at 10 a.m. and you're like, what the hell is going on? Why were you in the middle of a conversation? We tried to give you fair warning. We started today at 9 a.m. We're going to wrap up at 11, um, which I know we still have a larger audience that listens via podcast and later in the day, and so... Um, for most of you, it's irrelevant. It does not matter what time we started. But for those of you that do join us live, we are uh, we started just a little bit, just a little bit early today, so I can get down to the ballpark for Mo Gabba Day. All right, today's show also brought to you by your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where the summer seasonal menu is available and delicious. The opener, the flash fried pork belly with the Korean number two sauce, as well. As the lobster roll with the grilled corn. The lobster and crab fries. Lobster and crab fries. Lobster and crab fries. You need me to say it again? Do you think that they got the point? One more time. Lobster and crab fries. As well as the South Carolina barbecue chicken, the Cracker Jack Sunday. The waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jacks. It's all available right now at Glory Days Grill. Get your order in, glorydaysgrill.com. When we come back in, Warren Sharp, Sharp Football. He has full-throated this week in defense of Lamar Jackson. We'll talk to him about that next. Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com. Help.org. Hey, O's fans, get to Oriole Park early on Friday, August 5th at 7.05 when the first 20,000 fans 15 and over will receive a Cedric Mullins 3030 Club bobblehead presented by Masson. Celebrate Cedric Mullins' historic 2021 season when he became the first player in Orioles history to join the 3030 Club with 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases. Tickets start as low as $15. What better way to cheer on the Silver Slugger than at the ballpark that forever changed baseball? Buy tickets at Orioles.com slash tickets. 
The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point Boulevard. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very first Salute to Coaches issue. On the cover, we recognize Ravens coach John Harbaugh ahead of his 15th season. Also inside, find tributes to Navy football coach Ken Niamatololo, UMBC soccer coach Pete Karinji, Maryland soccer coach Sasho Sarovsky, and field hockey coach Missy Maharg, Mount St. Joe basketball coach Pat Clatchy, and poly basketball coach Kendall Peace. We also honor recently retired Johns Hopkins lacrosse coach Janine Tucker and Calvert Hall baseball coach Lou Eckerl, the athletes whose lives these coaches have impacted, offering insights on what makes them special and why they've stood the test of time. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. To follow the show on Instagram, it's just Glenn Clark Radio. And to follow the show on OnlyFans, wait, I don't think you're supposed to know about that one. Any hoodle. Take it away, boys. Yeah, Griffin just pointed out to me that both Cedric Mullins and Adley Rutschman are out of the lineup today, which is a bummer for those of us that are going to the game. That being said, like we knew that Adley Rutschman wasn't going to catch today because it's a day game after a night game, and he caught last night. A lot of criticism of uh, Brandon Hyde for pinch running for Adley Rutschman in the ninth inning last night. I After his base running had been so good. That's uh, the thing, right? Kinda, and like I saw a couple of people say that. Do, like. Is Ryan I mean, McKenna, McKenna scores there? I guess you know. But is obviously. but the idea is like is Ryan McKenna McKenna really a better option than Adley Rutschman on the base paths? I, I don't know that we know that. I don't. I don't know that we know that. I, I think that's a a fair. You, you turn your mic off so nobody can hear you when you do that. You you do that. Um. Con, my buddy Connor Newcomb says that the actual cost for Scooball could be Kowser, Mayo, Stowers, and Santander. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's that much, yeah, that's a lot. That's that's probably too much. Kowser in particular stands out as being a name that you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. I'd, I'd rather not. It's saying he does say he's a potential ace. I, I'm going to, mm, I struggle with using the term potential ace, right? 
That doesn't mean that anybody's a potential ace, I guess. I just struggle with that being the price that you're paying. Now, if the Tigers are essentially saying, look, we're, we're dangling them out there because if we can get that package, we'll trade them. And if not, we won't. It's tough. It's tough. I have to think about it more again. I've got to know more practically about the names that are involved. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot that you'd be giving up. But like, I'd have no problem with Santander, and I could live with Santander and Stowers. And then you get into Mayo and Cows, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. Let's get back to Lamar Jackson. Um, our next guest, boy, he has been full-throated this week in his defense of the Ravens quarterback. And I know he's been on the Lamar Jackson, I don't want to say bandwagon. The guy's just a hell of a player, so whatever you want to call it. He's been a guy that from moment one has said that people have had it wrong about Lamar Jackson. Of course, um, he has carved out quite the niche for himself with the sharp football and the analysis that he does. Um, you see him in all sorts of different places. He's Warren Sharp. And he's with us now here on GCR. Warren, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's good to chat with you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you got you guys are uh, ground zero for the you know, Lamar Jackson debate this offseason. Obviously, he doesn't have the contract yet, and uh, he's, he's a hot-button topic around the uh, NFL, and so you guys are ground zero, I think. Warren, it's a, it's a weird spot that we're in, because I think that there is, um, no pun intended, warranted criticism of Lamar Jackson. I think we all know that he struggled against the Blitz for the final four games that he played last year. I think you know, you can go in and you can see some things and say, hey, you know, you don't want that guy to do it. But what we can argue is he is an unbelievably talented and great quarterback who has proved himself time and time again, who is extraordinarily capable of throwing the football, and yet for some insane reason we continue to deal with this. And, yes, that reason might be anywhere from, you know, people just being stubborn and feeling a certain way and being unwilling to consider fact because their opinion is something it could be as simple as being explained by racism, which is a different conversation altogether. But it's insane how much we know about the guy that we're still dealing with this type of crap constantly from people that just clearly are not watching this man play football. Well, no, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, just, just to address, like, even the struggles uh, against the Blitz, as you mentioned, for his final four games before he was injured – Again, we are talking about a quarterback who this was a run-first offense. They lost all of their running backs yep. before the season started, basically. They're signing guys off of the street. They have no run support. This is a run-first team, second-most run-heavy team in the NFL for the prior two seasons. They switched to the seventh-most pass-heavy team because they just don't have any type of running backs to rely upon. And so now the burden is all the way on Lamar, which is fine. He leads them to the number one seed in the AFC last season before his injury. The reason he was struggling under the blitz, though, he's dealing with one of the most banged up and injured offensive lines. Yep. His wide receiving core, have you have you seen that wide receiving core? It's been bottom 10 in uh, how much the team is devoting assets in terms of salary cap dollars to every single year that he's been there. They are not investing in wide receivers like that they did with Joe Flacco, for example. They kept signing guys. You remember all the guys that they brought in? for Joe Flacco. I think that's one of the things that the Ravens fans, I don't even know that it's Ravens fans that don't like him. You guys would know more than I would because of where you're located. But nationwide, there's people that obviously don't like Lamar Jackson. And the reasons why are a lot of the ones that you laid out there. Some of the guys just don't feel like he was getting it done in the postseason. And so that's the reason to write him off. 
But the reality is that Lamar Jackson has not been given the benefit of the doubt by even his team to give them, give him the players that he needs to excel passing the football. Bottom 10 offensive line in salary cap dollars yep. every single season that he has started for the four seasons that he's played football for the Ravens and bottom 10 wide receiving core dollars in terms of what they've been providing to him. And this year they rank dead last in that metric in terms of wide receiver dollars. So it's one thing if you have, if you're drafting a lot of rookies and they're great and they're playing and so they're cheap and those types of things. And we know Rashard Bateman fits that mold, but to do that consistently for every single season that the guy's been the quarterback shows that you're not prioritizing that position whatsoever. And a lot of the other young quarterbacks that were on their rookie deals that were drafted in the first round, I went back and looked at the Justin Herberts and the Josh Allens and all of these other guys around the league who even the Patrick Mahomes and some of the guys that are even worse than them. Year one, they don't have those wide receiver assets on the, on the roster. But by year two and year three, those teams are funneling a ton of money towards that wide receiver position to give their young quarterback who is cheap on the salary cap support in the air for the passing game. And the Ravens just decided never to do that and focus on the run game. And we saw what happened uh, last season when all the backs got hurt. They had to turn to the pass and there was no wide receivers to throw the football to. So, you know, I, I'm on the other side of the fence. I tried to lay it out in a very logical fashion as to why I think Lamar Jackson is being disrespected in all of the things that he has done that I don't think a lot of people realize around the NFL that are critical of him. Um, they need to do their research a little bit more. It was the same way, as you mentioned, right after his first six games that he won. He went 6-1 and one his rookie season, yeah. and a lot of people were very critical heading into 2019, and I was like, nope, you guys are wrong. Yeah, well, it, it cleared, clearly, clearly everyone was wrong because, my God, he's incredible. Warren, let me cover a couple things you brought up there. One, because, you, know, you, you man, you, these are some of the things that I scream about constantly. There is this absurd statement that continues to be made about how quarterbacks are supposed to elevate the wide receivers, that you're, you're supposed to make them better. And I always ask the same question, what are your examples of that? Because overwhelmingly, it seems to be exactly the opposite. I saw what Josh Allen was before Stephon Diggs arrived. It seems like the quarterbacks are always better the moment they have the wide receiver that's around them. I am befuddled by this nonsensical thing we continue to throw out there where it's the quarterback that's supposed to make the wide receiver better. Yeah, I mean, look at Joe Burrow, for example, right? Look at Joe Burrow. They are spending the number one most salary cap dollars of any team on the wide receiver position this year, and they were number 11 last season. If you look at guys like Josh Allen, like Patrick Mahomes, these guys were up in the top five in terms of wide receiver dollar expenditure uh, for their quarterback when he was on his rookie deal. Um, this, is a, this is a league where – you need support around you. And I was actually just doing some research on this this morning, Glenn, when, because it's been a priority of mine in some of the teams that I work with about getting quarterbacks, even young quarterbacks that you don't think uh, would benefit from throwing the football on first or second down to do that more frequently, because these are the downs that defenses are playing the run more often. And that's when you want to be throwing the football. And for a team like the Ravens, Yes, we know the way that they are built and designed. It's to be a run-first offense right. because you've got Lamar and he's such a good rushing threat. But the issue becomes that Lamar 
no longer has these great opportunities to throw the football on first down to great wide receivers. And that's where a lot of these guys look at what Josh Allen did. For example, you mentioned him, you know, he didn't start to excel until they brought in Stefan Diggs, but as well, that team shifted dramatically from a more run-first offense in 2018 to 2019 when he was young to a pass-first offense in 2020 and 2021. All of a sudden, Josh Allen is dropping back to throw the ball on first down and hitting up Stephon Diggs, and boom, this offense explodes and goes to the AFC Championship, and Josh Allen looks like a million bucks. So I'm not saying that Lamar Jackson is Josh Allen. I'm simply agreeing with you that giving wide receivers support uh, sorry, giving quarterback support with wide receivers is pivotal in terms of their development and seeing what type of upside they can reach. And my biggest fear with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson it, from, from the way that they've built their team over these years is that it basically, I'm sorry to say this, but they blew their chance at giving him good wide receivers when he was on his rookie deal and yeah. he was really cheap. Yeah. And now we're not going to see that. And what happened to Patrick Mahomes and what's going to happen to Josh Allen next year when his salary cap explodes? You lose your wide receivers. You, you're not going to be able to bring in. You can't have a Tyree kill anymore. They might lose some of their, in Buffalo, their top receivers because the quarterback takes up so much of the cap hit. That's what's going to happen with Baltimore. And they're not going to be able to bring in these high-priced, great stud wide receivers anymore. They, they missed that opportunity. So Warren Sharp is with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Warren, you know, there's the belief based on what the Ravens have done, to your point, they're a very thin and very inexperienced at wide receiver. Meanwhile, they've signed about 600 running backs this offseason. The belief is that they're trying to replicate exactly what they did in 2019 and just say, we're going to run, 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 and, and try to go about winning that way. It sounds like in what you're describing, that it, do you not think that's what they should be doing at this point with Lamar Jackson? Well, I think that they are – I think you're right. This is what is going to happen. They're going to lean more into the run. The only reason why they went to the seventh most pass-heavy offense on early downs last year is because they had no running backs. This year, they're going to have these backs healthier, and so they're going to be able to run the football a little bit more efficiently on those downs. And the reality is this. What, what we hold as tenants for efficient football in the NFL, obviously there's like a, a big wide – sweeping uh, way that we look at the league. But for individual teams, like if you're still gaining five and a half yards on a running back run on first down, I'm not going to say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You need to let your quarterback throw the ball here. Uh, so I do think that they will go a little bit more back to the run. And in addition, the schedule of opposing run defenses that they're going to face this year, I have as the eighth easiest schedule of opposing run defenses. Hmm. So hmm. you, if you're good running the football and you're playing bad run defenses, go ahead and your backs are healthy. Go ahead and lean a little bit more into that. And Lamar, but, but don't necessarily take the ball out of Lamar's hands on too many first downs where he can't have the option to throw the football, especially if defenses are loading up the box to try to stop that run game. Lamar has proven that he could throw the ball down the field. I wish he had better wide receivers working with the hand that we've been dealt. He can still get the ball to these guys. He's got a great tight end. They added some more tight ends so they can be more multiple. They can have a little bit more efficiency in 12 personnel or 13 personnel. And I think that as long as they are passing the football when the boxes are heavy on early downs, then I'm fine with them switching a little bit more to the run this season because they've got that and they're playing 
bad run defenses in general. Warren, one of the things that drives me crazy about the Lamar Jackson discourse is people that say, well, he can't run this much or that quarterbacks in general shouldn't run this much. Well, I certainly don't think that you know, Joe Flacco should have run this much. And I think there's a lot of quarterbacks that shouldn't do it. I, I'm befuddled, you know, based on the data that we have, that we have overwhelming data that the nonsense about running quarterbacks getting hurt more often than passing, it's just not true. We have in, insane amounts of data that say there is zero truth to the idea that running quarterbacks or quarterbacks that run are at more risk of getting hurt than a quarterback in the pocket. And, of course, the one time Lamar Jackson has gotten hurt, he was in the pocket. Um, I, I, the only reason I concern myself with it is because it seems to impact him. Um, some of the stuff that I've heard in, within his camp is that he doesn't want to run that much and that he gets tired of the criticism of not being a real quarterback and wants to show everybody what he can do. And I, I just keep thinking like you're neutering this unbelievable skill set that you have that no one else has ever had in the history of football. What do you make of the idea that Lamar Jackson should run less? <laughs> Well, I mean, look, you and I are sharing a brain on like pretty much every single topic we're discussing. So that's, that's great. It's a fun place to be in because I completely agree. I heard in Buffalo, Sean McDermott this offseason talking about they paid Josh Allen a ton of money, and now they don't want him to run as much as a quarterback. Yes. And I think the topic is completely ludicrous because that is, I will tell you this, there are a lot of different plays that you can – run in the NFL. You can have a design quarterback run. You can have a quarterback uh, uh, scramble. You can have a pass play. You can hand the ball up to the running back. You can have a variety of different ways that you're trying to move the ball down the field. The single most efficient play in football is when your quarterback drops back to pass and sees an open run lane and then just goes and takes it. Those types of runs on design pass plays have the highest EPA, the highest yards per carry, the highest success rate of any single offensive play in the NFL and you know maybe you don't have quite as many pure designed runs but you absolutely need to get Lamar Jackson out in the field running the football and the coaches that try to coach their young quarterbacks to say okay we want you to become a pocket passer we want you to sit back here go to progressions two and three it doesn't matter don't start running with the football go to like the way that I would coach my quarterback is if one is taken and you have a run lane, take the run lane. Like, I don't want you necessarily to drop your eyes and not try to work your progression. But if you see that you can gain seven or eight yards on the ground, guess what? Uh, an average pass attempt in the NFL is seven yards, <laughs> seven and a half yards. So, like, take those free yards that you're getting and then get down. The, you're, you're right. You take fewer hits that are problematic for you when you are – running in the open field as a quarterback than if you're standing in the pocket with guys coming at your knees and guys from your blind side that you can't see. Now, you got to get down and you got to not take the unnecessary hits in the open field or down the field or along the sideline. Don't worry about picking up that extra yard or two. You are much more important than that. But like, we have to not discourage guys from taking free yards um, just because they play the quarterback and there's other pocket passers who can't run the football. Like, if Jimmy Garoppolo could run the football or Tom Brady could run the football, like, these guys should be running the football yes. a little bit more frequently, too. But they can't. So we can't, you know, so they don't. But with Lamar and some of these other guys, 
run it when you see the opportunity. And to your point, I don't know that there's I've ever seen anyone who is as good at avoiding big hits as Lamar Jackson has been downfield. Like he's just so ungodly elusive. Yep. And I know that that won't continue forever. I understand that. Like when he's 35, he probably won't be able to do that. But Jesus, man, it is nuts to me. All right, I'm going to I'm going to give you a big give me the biggest untruth going into this football season that you hear repeated by dullards like me that do this for a living that you say, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about because you don't have the data that I have. You don't know what it is that you're saying. Besides related to Lamar Jackson, the biggest untruth in all of football, Warren Sharp, is what? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I probably have like 15 of them. So I'll, I'll just <laughs> go with one that's another polarizing quarterback, and that's Tua. I think that, that Tua gets a lot of undue criticism and the, it, it's not even from a i can throw out all the statistics and your readers eyes your listeners eyes will just gloss over so let me just throw up the quick like narrative this guy in year he's in year three right year one he's trying to play football off of a catastrophic hit catastrophic hip injury during the first COVID off season where there's no camps like the, everything's totally different that season that he's coming in He's designed to be a backup to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was brought in that year, and Chan Gailey, who was a grandfather, who wasn't even calling plays for years in the NFL. He was resting. He was retired. He was convinced to come back and call plays for his former quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. They hand-tailored the offense just to Ryan Fitzpatrick, and all of a sudden, halfway through the season, they just insert Tua. And Chan Gailey, even after the year was over, was like, I have no idea why we were playing Tua. The offense was designed for Ryan Fitzpatrick. We didn't change much for Tua to be in there. So that's a horrible situation for this kid to be in his rookie season. And then year two, I will tell you this, that was last season, 10 days before game one, the, there was co-offensive coordinators, and they did not know who was calling the plays. 10 days before Jesus. week one started. They, did, they were juggling their coordinators all the way through the first seven, eight weeks of the season before they settled on one. This team had no run support. They had the worst separation of any wide receivers in the NFL. These guys could not get open, so two is constantly having to throw the ball into tight windows or into crowds where defenders are standing nearby them. Now you got a coach who's designed offenses for Jimmy G, who is – going to have more separation, more speed, and a much better run game to support the quarterback. Tua is going to have things to support him that he has not had for multiple seasons in Miami. I think that they are going to have a better year than a lot of people think, and I think Tua himself is going to look a little bit better. They do play a difficult schedule, and just like your Ravens, they play in the AFC, which is the most brutal so conference loaded. that there is. Yeah. But I think Tua is better than some people think oh i you know what i will i, I will admit that i'm someone who's been down on Tua. so the, we were doing so well you and i so now you might be calling me out <laughs> i might have to look at it in a different way warren i know there's probably about a billion things we can plug for you what what is important what do we need to get plugs in for well the, n the number one thing is my book i wrote yep. a 564 page book with 32 team chapters that previews everything i think is going to happen to every single team this upcoming season it's really easy to digest. It's full color. It's simple. Uh, but there's a lot of information on each team that you're not going to know. And you can find that at sharpfootballanalysis.com. At sharpfootball on Twitter is how you follow him. Warren Sharp, really appreciate this, man. We'd love to do this again as we get close to the start of the season. Thank you for taking the time for us this morning. For sure. Thanks for having me. Warren Sharp checking in with us here on GCR, someone who has been 
extraordinarily defensive of Lamar Jackson, and we uh, we think in very similar ways about Lamar Jackson-related topics. Um, I, you know how I feel. Uh, I'll continue to feel that way about various Lamar Jackson-related topics. Uh, you also know how I feel about live casino and hotel on the FanDuel Sportsbook, the place to be for betting on every major event like UFC 277 on Sunday, or sorry, Saturday night. Saturday night. You can go there on Sunday night and bet on whatever's going on, but for the fights, you're going to want to be there on Saturday night. Reserve your spot right now. You want a table, you want reclining chairs, you want to bring people out. There's always room for standing and getting to the 61 self-service kiosks if you show up, but if you want to make sure... You've got a table. You've got reclining chairs for you, your friends, your family, your associates, whoever you're bringing out. Email events at sportssocialmd.com right now to reserve your spot in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland. All right? Do that right now, and you get your spot. Very simple. UFC 277 on Saturday night. Instead of paying 75 bucks to watch the fights at home, watch them for free and win some money. Come out on top in the FanDuel Sportsbook. Jarrett Bell, USA Today, says it's time for the Ravens to pony up. Pay Lamar Jackson is with us now here on GCR. Jarrett, it's always good to catch up, man. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. Oh, sorry, Jarrett. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, it's great, yeah. great to be with you. Apologies. We had a bit of a, a technical issue there. Um, Jarrett, look, I, I have not understood why it is that we're still at this point. The season's about to get underway, and Lamar Jackson's set to make $23 million this season when the market says so much more. What do you make of the entirety of the situation the Ravens and Lamar Jackson find themselves in at this point? Yeah, I really wonder, and I think Lamar Jackson is you know, top of the earth. I really do. He's a, a great um, player and representative of, of – you know, everything you'd want in a, in a franchise player. Um, I wonder now whether or not this would have played out differently if he had an agent. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's, you know, because, like you said, we've been talking about this story for a while. <laughs> it's had different terms. Obviously, he's under contract, but only for $23 million, which is a lot for you and me, but uh, <laughs> for an NFL you know, star quarterback, not so much. And so, you know, maybe if you have an agent, you work this out well in advance. And, you know, Fallon with the Buffalo Bills is a great example of, you know, how smooth things can go when, you know, you're, you know, you're playing to your contract or above your contract and, and you're solidified for the long term. Um, that's an example. It took Kyler Murray a bit more drama to to uh, to get the deal that he got, but still in all, there it was, yep. and he had people working uh, on his behalf. I don't know, and I don't know if anybody really knows besides Lamar and the people closest to him, and maybe and obviously the Ravens. Just you know how these talks have progressed, how intense they've been serious they've been how frequent they've been you just don't know and he definitely has his right to privacy on that matter yep but when we're sitting here now and you're saying okay he's getting ready for the season no contract um 
you, you just have to wonder about uh, those and, and, so, and Yeah, and, and Jared, we know, like, some people would say, hey, you're running the risk of getting hurt this season. Well, okay, we've seen what happened with Dak Prescott, and we understand it's very yeah. rare that you end up with that, like, career-altering injury the way that Alex Smith had or the way that maybe Robert Griffin III once upon a time had, but it does still yeah, exist. Yeah. Like, there is still some, right. whatever percentage it is, there is still some risk of that. Um, without having gotten this guaranteed money, I just feel like you should be trying to go into this season and saying, "What? Let's just do get it done now before we play a football game with that amount of risk, whatever it is." Yeah, and 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 it's Lamar who has to say that as opposed to the Ravens because, um, yeah, the Ravens are like, "Okay, we gave you a contract. We're, we're working within the system, and so be it." And so, yeah, they're, they're there. Um, yeah, the, the, the risk is always there in the NFL for playing, and that's why you need to protect yourself. So I think, you know, all the reasons are, you know, well-known. You know, anybody follows the sport and knows kind of the market and how it ebbs and flows, you know that these things are there and these, um, you know, parameters exist and these risks exist. So for the life of me, <laughs> get it done. I thought Lamar... So Lamar's on the practice field today, yep. from what I understand. Yep. And I thought that that was kind of his leverage. Sure. You know, we sure. saw TJ. We saw TJ Watt last year with the Steelers. Um, you know, go to camp in a similar situation where um, they were gaining. You know, he was in his fifth year, and um, TJ Watt showed up, and Lamar's showing up. Shoot, even early. I mean, that's good faith by any man. Um, token, when we start talking about risk and and uh, pushing along the the time, yeah, at at some point you got to say, okay, I can't really um, go full board. Now the practice today versus what the practice will be, you know, for a quarterback practicing, it's not quite like it is for a D lineman yeah, or an offensive sure. lineman or running back because you're not going to take the hits. Even if Lamar, even if they had a full contact practice, you know Lamar would have on a red jersey or a black jersey, you know colors they use at, at Baltimore's camp. Um, so you don't as a quarterback, but um, yeah, it, it, it's still you know quite a statement that you're going to go and practice, even though this is still. Um, hanging in the air. Jared, I hope it's a, a reflects a level of optimism that his camp has that they're close and that a deal's going to get done so we don't need to, to hold in, um, as you would say. I know I can't keep you very long today, Jared. I just wanted to run this by you if I could. Um, you know, you saw, like everybody else did, this anonymous defensive coordinator telling Mike Sando this week, uh, you know, he could win 12 MVPs. He'll never be a, a Tier 1 quarterback to me. The insanity of the continued nonsensical just absurd <laughs> ridiculous there there is always warranted criticism that a player deserves we all saw Lamar Jackson struggle against the blitz for four games last year there's nothing wrong with criticizing that but the absurdity of the criticism that Lamar Jackson continues to face being an unbelievably high level player in this league 5 years in i personally don't like to just say it's well it's just racism because you know i'm I'm the white guy that wants to hope the best of the world, right? Like, that's who I am. You, of course, are not a white guy. Um, you could speak to this more. Is it that's? Is it just we have to deal with the fact that when we see this, it is plain and simple, this is still racism that exists that Lamar Jackson has to face every day of his life? 
maybe, um, you know, because that's the, the thing about racism so often is that it's not easily identified because people are cowards, okay? And so when you don't put your name on something and you make that kind of um, statement, it really does, um, you know, lead to all sorts of questions about your motivations and your character and, you know, kind of aggressiveness, if you will. So, yeah, it's easy to say, yeah, this was a racist statement, but it, you know, at the core of it, um, racist or not, it's, you know, it's a coward's move mm. um, to come out and to slam somebody, especially somebody who has proven why. So when Bill Polian made his remarks before the draft saying, hey, I think Lamar um, a wide receiver or whatever, right? Um, as much as we disagree, the one thing I can say about Bill Polian is that he put his name out there, okay? And um, and he believed it, and he reversed it later on. Yep. Said, hey, you know what? Admitted he was wrong, yeah. But yeah, yeah. But you know, but he put his name out there. So when you make these kind of statements now, and you're not even putting your name out there, uh, yeah, take it with a grain of salt. At Jarrett Bell on Twitter is how you follow him. USAToday.com. Jarrett, I know you're busy, man. I appreciate you squeezing in even a couple of minutes with us this morning, sir. I'd love to do this again in the yeah. future. All right. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, bud. Jared Bell uh, checking in with us just a couple of minutes. Uh, ended up uh, having a busy day today. Is uh, training camp's back underway. Um, you know, it's the reality. Busy times. Busy times. It's the way it goes. All right. Uh, when we come back in, we are going to get a tidbit. We're going to get tubular. We are going to wrap up again, trying to wrap up quicker so I can get down to uh, the ballpark for Mo Gabba day today. I want to be there. Uh, Sanzi is throwing the first pitch to Trey Mancini. And boy, that is going to be emotional. And uh, what could also be Trey Mancini's final home game in Baltimore. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Hey, Birdland, join in on the fun and celebrate the 30th anniversary of Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Saturday, August 6th, as the O's take on the Pittsburgh Pirates at 5.05. The first 15,000 fans, 15 and over, will receive a 30th anniversary Oriole Park t shirt. Then stay post-game for the Birdland Summer Music Series presented by Miller Lite, I Love the 90s Concert, featuring Drew Hill with a special performance by Cisco and Smash Mouth. Tickets start as low as $15 at Orioles.com slash tickets. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MDGambling help.org get your tickets now for the premier high school lacrosse games of the year the 17th annual all-america lacrosse boys and girls senior all-star games will be on saturday july 30th at johns hopkins historic homewood field this is your chance to see the future lacrosse stars up close and in person as they showcase why they are the best in the country go to allamericalacrosse.com and get your tickets now that first sip. 
That first bite mm. starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Summer is in full swing, and so is the summer seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash fried pork belly with their popular Korean number two sauce, and try their South Carolina barbecue chicken, or back by popular demand, the lobster roll with grilled corn. Also try the irresistible crab and lobster fries, or the very berry salad with chicken. And for dessert, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jacks. This menu will be going, going gone. Find out more and get your order in at glorydaysgrill.com. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. The 2022 baseball season is in full swing and the future is brighter than ever for your Baltimore Orioles. I'm Paul Valley and I'm Zach Goodman. And together we bring you the bat around every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon with everything you need to know about the Orioles and baseball as a whole. From veterans like Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, and Ryan Mountcastle to young stars like Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, and D.L. Hall. We've got you covered for every game, every pitch, and every debut. You can watch us at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and facebook.com slash pressboxsports or you can listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. So join us live on the bat around every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon right here at Pressbox Sports. It's statistically proven that the show sounds better if you're not wearing pants. Like me. Right now. You're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. All right, back in here on GCR as we wind down for a Thursday edition of the program. Orioles made some roster moves today. Tyler Wells indeed goes on the 15-day IL. Um, This is the one that people are going to be bothered by. They also sent Nick Vespi down, which the the immediate reaction is, what in the ever-loving hell? The guy's guys was great. All he does is gets guys out. Um, they brought up Bo Solcer and Logan Gillespie. As a few people have pointed out, part of the problem is, especially with um, Tyler Wells not working deep into yesterday's game, you just need more arms available to you. Now, you hope that Jordan Lyles can do what Jordan Lyles does and go out and eat seven innings for you today and reset your bullpen. But if he doesn't, you need more fresh arms. The next question is who starts on Monday, right? Like, that's the next question. So we will monitor that, you know, they need someone to make a couple of starts. This can't be a... Frankly, they really are bullpenning it already when Austin Voth starts. They can't really bullpen it again. You can get rid of, get away with bullpenning it for a game. But beyond that, you can't. I think the answer is going to be Matt Harvey. Like I just That's what my gut tells me, is that Matt Harvey is going to end up being the answer for now, with the idea being that when Tyler Wells comes back, let's see, have they... Did they deal Jordan Lyles at the deadline? If they did, then Tyler Wells will retake his spot in the rotation. If not, Austin Voth's spot in the rotation would be available to be had because he's sort of a placeholder until whenever they feel like D.L. Hall's ready. And if they feel like D.L. Hall's ready now, even though he's coming off his worst outing of the season, then maybe it'll be D.L. Hall on Monday. I Obviously, it's not ideal to have him make his first start on the road. Like that, That's the part you don't like. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I would, I would start somebody else. But I just, my gut tells me, 
it's Matt Harvey time, and they'll solve when Tyler Wells comes back. They'll solve whatever that is. Then, um, Ryan Jensen went down at that. Um, you gotta, you're not good yeah, at turning the mic on, Griffin. Yeah, uh, yeah, Ryan Jensen went down to Bucks camp. That's a huge. I love Ryan Jensen. We all love Ryan Jensen because of what he did uh, when he was, you know, ready to to murder Kiko Alonso uh, all those years ago. But um, a step beyond that. Ryan Jensen's still extraordinarily involved with Show Your Soft Side, an incredible local charity that I also happen to be involved with. Um, he he and Tori Smith every year at Project Runway combine and offer to pay all of the adoption fees for all of the animals that are there at Project Runway. Um, the Jensen family is wonderful, and I hate I just hate to see that man. I hate to see that. Wish him always wish him the best. And then Warren Sharp after our conversation with them, kind of kind of went off um you know he referenced that like the ravens haven't done for lamar jackson what they did for joe flacco and i'm gonna push back a bit on that so i'll read his tweet for a young joe flacco the ravens added veteran wide receivers via free agency like steve smith Derek mason dante stalwart tj hushman zada jacoby jones i guess the point is at least they were trying so and then he says for a young lamar jackson des bryant after being out of the nfl for years and sammy watkins who was terrible for all with all due respect and i i, I like a lot of what warren sharp said Sammy Watkins, when the Ravens acquired him, was akin to acquiring Dante Stallworth or TJ Hushmanzada. In fact, I would argue was probably a better acquisition than either of Dante Stallworth or TJ Hushmanzada. When the Ravens acquired those players, they were at the end of free agency and guys that were still... I th- actually, that's not true. TJ Hushmanzada was, I believe, a trade right before the season began. Um, neither one of those guys were prime free agents. Dante Stallworth, of course, was coming off you know, everything that he had been through in the aftermath of, unfortunately, you know, killing someone um, in a DUI. And they just weren't, they were not impact players at all. They were not remotely impact players. Steve Smith was acquired after Joe Flacco had agreed to his second contract. Joe Flacco was not still a young quarterback at that point. Um, There is no direct comparison there. And Derek Mason was already a Raven when Joe Flacco arrived. So Jacoby Jones was a returner who actually made far more of an impact than we could ever fathom. And by the way, if you ever want an argument for a quarterback who made somebody better, it would be what Joe Flacco did with Jacoby Jones. Because Jacoby Jones was a nothing as a wide receiver. Nothing. Non-existent. But because Joe Flacco had a cannon for an arm and Jacoby Jones happened to be very fast, the two of them kind of worked out together. But if I was to rewrite Warren Sharp's tweet to try to make a point, the Ravens traded for Anquan Bolden. That that will make his the point that he's trying to make is the Ravens haven't done anything like that. The bigger problem in the history of this franchise, they didn't really do much for Joe Flacco either. They didn't, but they did do something, which was they traded for Anquan Bolden very much in the prime of his career, an explosive move they made at the wide receiver position. They did one. They did do one. And it's far more than they've done for Lamar Jackson. Although they drafted more wide receivers for Lamar Jackson than they were getting lost. The point. I get what Warren Sharp's trying to say. He's just not doing, he's not, the actual evidence he's presenting is, is not a reflection of what actually happened. Again, those pieces, the, Derek Mason was here when before Joe Flacco got here. Steve Smith was here after Joe Flacco signed his second contract. The next two guys stunk. The next two guys were not even as good of acquisition as Sammy Watkins was. Jacoby Jones was a returner. I wonder why I didn't include like you know Jeremy Macklin and 
I mean, Mike Wallace. I mean, they all stink for what it, they, all, they all didn't make an impact. Although I'm bleeding into which of those guys were. That's yeah. the funny part. It's very difficult to remember to which of those guys arrived after Joe or after Lamar, Lamar. Jackson, yeah. and which of those guys. I just remember Willie Sneed was Lamar guy. L- Willie Sneed was definitely a Lamar yeah. guy. Um, I like. I think the most of those guys you just mentioned were all here before. I think. Yes, I believe they were. It's just so hard for me to remember these things. God, these years all bleed together. All right. Um, very good. Let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today by the Stan the Fan Variety Hour, which returns tonight. Mike Loxley will join Stan the Fan and Gary Stein tonight on Facebook Live to preview Maryland football season. If you miss it live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, you can watch it tomorrow at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline or PressBoxOnline.com slash video. All right, so we talked about Adley's base running last night uh, earlier, um, and that was and that's going to be the premise of my tidbit because uh, his base running was outstanding last night. So it's very fun to see that uh, you know on top of everything else that Adley Rushman brings to the brings to the diamond, uh, he can also run the bases very well. Takes take advantage of uh, some weak arms in the outfield, um, and they actually have a base running stat. It's called like BSR. Um, but I couldn't find a lot of data on it, so okay. I, I, I'm not going to. I won't be able okay. to use that for the tidbit. Uh, okay. J, JT Real Muto though uh, had like the highest in like 2018 or something as a base running catcher. Uh, how about that? <laughs> so my question will cha- changes to uh, which catchers stole the most bases in a season? Do I, you know who stole the most bases? I don't. I don't. But I like this because I feel like this was something that I used to have a weird obsession with. Um, I was going to, so I don't think you are going to get the number one guy, so that's why I was going to cut it off at 1984 and on. Okay. Well, oh, because the number, the, yeah, because it's just absurd. I don't know who these guys are. All right. John Wathan stole yeah, the most bases I, I don't, as a catcher in 1982. Not, I, would got, I would not have gotten that. With the Royals. 36, I believe, 36 steals. With I the believe that Jason Kendall legitimately hit leadoff for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I cannot tell you that right now, but he is number one since 1984. I'm, I'm, I'm straight f- shoot. I believe he was a leadoff hitter for the Pirates. Let's look that up real quick. Uh, but so okay, so let me refine the question. So uh, I want the, fi- the five guys since 1984 have stolen 20 or more bases as a primary catcher. Oh, actually, it's it's six actually. Uh, but I don't think you will ever get number six. So I want five. The okay. five. Um. Who do you think's calling us? Not sure. Should find it? out. Yeah, at least find out. Might be somebody trying to call the front office. I don't know, but we should at least find out. Um, Phew. I all right. I have a couple of names that I think could be answers. I think. I think. Craig Biggio before he converted to second base. Yes. Okay. Craig Biggio. How about Yachty at the beginning of his career? Yachty, uh, he at the beginning of his career, he did have some steals, but he never stole more than okay. twenty bases. Right. That might be the, the list. That might be the extent of the list for me. You you named Jason Kendall. You named Biggio. Uh, yeah, his first three years, he stole twenty plus twice, nineteen eighty nine and nineteen ninety, and Kendall stole twenty plus uh, three times. I feel like Brad Osmus stole bases. He did, but not more okay. than 20. 16 in 1995. I might not. I might be tapped out at this point. Uh, Pudge. Did Pudge ever have 20? Yes, he did. Okay. He had 25 in 1999. He's a hell of a player, man. Yeah. God, he was a hell of a player. I, 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 I didn't love Pudge the way that I love like Kenny Lofton and, and Ken Griffey Jr. Like Those are my two favorite players Like that never played for the Orioles. Ichiro. God damn, I loved Ichiro. Um... But I did. I I love missing Pudge, man. He was God. He was awesome. 
Charles Johnson? No, not Charles Johnson. I, I don't. I there don't. is a former Oriole. There's a former Oriole. One here. Um, he did not with the Orioles though. Did he accomplish twenty plus steals? Brooke Fordyce. No. Greg Zahn. No. Jesus. Mickey Tettleton. No. <laughs> it was in 1988 with the Dodgers. Or, oh, sorry, with Milwaukee. 1988 with Milwaukee. Orioles catcher. 1988. Caught for the Orioles in the two. Or, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure what position he played. But he, he was with the oh, Orioles. Oh, B.J. Surhoff? Yes. Yeah. I've ke- I always forget that B.J. Surhoff was a catcher BJ at the start Surhoff. of his career. 21 Steve. Damn it. I always forget that he was a catcher at the start of his career. And one guy from uh, from this millennium. In 2007, he stole 21 bases. As a catcher, uh, Salvador Perez, Jorge Posada. No, I don't know who is it. It is Russell Martin with the Dodgers in 2007, Martin, and then number six who stole 20 plus. Yeah, Benito Santiago. Oh, I love Benito Santiago of the Padres right. in 1987. All right, very good. I actually did better on that than probably I had any reason to do. I got three legitimately on my own. Yeah, that was very good. I'm taking that. I'm taking <laughs> I'm taking credit for that. All right, here's what's coming up totally tubular-wise. Totally Tubular is brought to you by the Pressbox Print Issue. It is our Salute to Coaches issue. It's available right now for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find Pressbox. Read it all, pressboxonline.com. Again, pressboxonline.com. On the cover, John Harbaugh. We celebrate 15 years. John Harbaugh is a head coach in the NFL, also inside Honors for Kenny Amatololo from Navy, also 15 years. Other coaches who have either recently surpassed or approaching milestones, like Pete Karinji at UMBC, like Sasha Sarovsky, Missy Maharg at Maryland, Pat Clatchy at Mount St. Joe, Kendall Peace at Poly, and a couple of recently retired coaches, Janine Tucker at Johns Hopkins and Lou Eckerl at Calvert Hall, all recognized and honored by the players and the athletes whose lives they impacted the most inside the new print issue of Pressbox, available right now. Here's what's coming up. Of course, this afternoon, 1230, Orioles wrap up the series with the Rays. It's Mo Gabba Day. It's on Masson, Ryan Yarbrough, and Jordan Lyles. MLB Network, Marlins Reds, 1230, Cubs Giants, 11 tonight. It was like 11. That was an, that's right now. It's 11 tonight. FS1, Mariners Astros at 8. Uh, Athletes Unlimited Lacrosse continues tonight out at uh, USA Lacrosse in Sparks. It's on ESPN2 at 5 and then ESPNU at 7.30. CBS Sports Network, Washington Mystics, Dallas Wings at 8. LA Sparks, Phoenix Mercury at 10. NBA TV, Seattle Storm, Connecticut Sun at 7. Golf Channel for uh, round three of the PGA's Rocket Mortgage Classic. Awesome. Round one, of course. It's Thursday, round one at three. My brain. Uh, ESPN, the next episodes of The Captain tonight at 9 o'clock. Can't miss that. WWE Network for NXT UK at 3. Axis TV, Impact Wrestling at 8. Anything non-sports-wise? Not a whole lot. Of course, it is Thursday, so Impractical Jokers. Method Man will be on. Um, Shark Week continues. Uh, It's tonight at 8 on Discovery. They have Sharks with Tracy Morgan. Ah, this this has been a big one. Because, of course, Tracy Morgan uttered the uh, infamous phrase on 30 Rock, I try to live every week like it's Shark Week. That everybody loved, and so Tracy Jordan said that right. Tracy Morgan playing him. So this has been a long time coming. Uh, let's see. There's a Harley Quinn animated series. Uh, first three episodes of season three on HBO Max today. Okay, that might be interesting. I don't know. I'm Probably a, not. I like I like the, the right. TV shows. Um, and then let's see. Mark Wahlberg's gonna be on Jimmy Fallon. 
Uh, B.J. Novak will be on Colbert. Uh, he's got a movie that... Yeah, he's directing and starring in yeah, Vengeance. Yeah, something like that. A journalist podcaster travels from New York City to Texas to investigate the death of a woman that he hooked up with. Oh, okay. So he'll be promoting that. He'll be on Colbert. Okay. Other, otherwise, uh, not a whole lot. All right, very good. The rest on... Totally Glenn, there. Glenn Clark Clark Very good. All right. Thanks today to Warren Sharp. Thanks to Jarrett Bell. Thanks to Andrew Stecka. And thanks also to Scott Pioli. We'll get it all up in the greatest hits section of the <laughs> tab at GlennClarkRadio.com. Stuff and things tomorrow. I have no idea. Uh, I think Charles McDonald, Four Verts, Mr. Four Verts, is going to join us. Um, other than that, stuff and things. Stuff that we've been working on that we're hoping will come through for tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, at PressBox. All of our great sponsors and partners, including Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, Casa Sin, Great Eights Memorabilia, FanDuel Sportsbook, Live Casino and Hotel, All-America Lacrosse, the Baltimore Orioles, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass, to Ryan at Rexpex Ryan. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. Uh, hope to see you at the ballpark for Mo Gabba Day. Have a great Thursday evening. Go Birds. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks, too.